Welcome to Talking In Stations, podcast about EVE Online. I am Matt Earl, your host, and today we are going to explore the current news that's going on out there. A lot of stuff happened this week. We're going to talk about Scourge and meet their CEO and lead FC. And then we're going to round out the show by talking about BTACR five years later. That happened today, on this day, five years ago. Uh, one of the biggest, most notable battles uh, in EVE Online's history. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's meet uh, our Craig Carneros. How are you doing? Good morning. Great to be here. It's a, it's a nice day. Yep. And Elise, Elise Randolph's here with us. Yeah, it's very nice to be here, especially on uh, the BTEC R anniversary day as well. Perfect guy to have on for that. And Orion Solo from PL now, right? Thank you for having me. All right. He's not a guest from PL. He's not speaking on, on, on PL's behalf. Uh, only headliner does that, but he's part of our crew and uh, research group. And uh, Ron from Tess, how are you doing, buddy? Oh, you know, living the dream, the high sec dream. <laughs> right. And our guest today is Seth Shadu. Uh, how are you doing, Seth? I'm fine. All good. Let's start out with the, uh, gosh, probably the biggest thing that's happened in recent, recent memory, and by recent memory, I mean like two days, is a huge fight happened in Perimeter. Um, Ron, were you a part of that fight? Yeah, it was. It was um, four hours. It was insane. So tell us what happened and what it was about. Well, so... I've heard, you know, conflicting stories about how it started, uh, but so someone else should probably fill that part in. But I know that um, Pro God was on the Meta Show, and while he's talking, he's pinging us and saying it's time for a big fight. And so we all get together, we go to perimeter, and there was a fleet <laughs> that was causing tie dye as it was going to perimeter. It was so funny. And we get to perimeter and it's probably, you know, I think it's like 280, 300 on our side, 450, 500 on their side. And we started in Dominix's um, and it wasn't going well for us. We switched over to Ferox's and for the next three hours, uh, we were in Ferox versus Ferox. And, you know, I was telling them that it was, it was like a knife fight in a bathtub. We were at five kilometers just as fast as you can kill on both sides and it went um you know we switched out pro god was for the first two hours and villi was for the last two hours it was pretty crazy we bought out all the feroxes in jita <laughs> like twice over right because uh I heard <clears throat> both sides were buying the feroxes and they just completely wiped out jita <laughs> that was just a, i don't know if there were any on uh, sale yeah, and the funny thing is that it even started like this kind of meta game where, you know, uh, at one point we would have a gate camp at Jita watching for people reshipping, and then at another point they would have it, and then there were all these random corporations I think doing kill rights. It was just you know things that you'd never heard about, you know, and it was it was really funny, and then it it just went on and on and on, and and then after you know, uh, the four hours, four and a half hours, you know, it was just like, we were just mentally exhausted. It was, it was the longest, I think, sub cap fight that I've personally been in, in probably like five years. I mean, it has to be. 
I looked into that. Is was this the biggest fight in high sec history? Now, one of the things about fighting in high sec is it can really only be a subcap battle, uh, so that makes it uh, a bit different. You can't escalate past a certain point. Um, but um, I, I'm not sure it was the biggest one as far as value because the the ships being used were so cheap. But uh, it might have been the most people involved, the longest fight, uh, and maybe the most ships destroyed. Um, there was a bigger fight when a perimeter system where Horde was attacked. And it was about two years ago or 2017 when Goonswarm was, um, had kind of been defeated in the north uh, for Hakonin when they had their Hakonin campaign. So on their way home, they attacked Horde and blew some things up. Uh, and that was a pretty big fight. I think we have the kill mail around here somewhere. I'll dig it up. But that's not this fight. This fight was, a, I think, had more people and took a lot longer. It was four and a half hours, I think, from most estimates. So that's a big deal. Uh, Carneros or anybody else, were you guys around? I had guys in it, but I, I wasn't in the fight myself. I assume it was the kind of situation where um, they didn't know in advance it was going to happen and couldn't put in for system reinforcement, for node reinforcement. Is that correct? Yeah. For those of you who don't don't know the system, you can if you know the day in advance that you're going to have a fight somewhere, a big fight, there's an automated form you can fill out to tell CCP so that they swap to a a special server blade to reinforce your node's capacity. Uh, and they do that without telling anybody else about your upcoming confidential battle plans. It's great. Sorry, Ron. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and and that was kind of where I was going. Where I, I I'm not sure. I've heard like three different stories, but that was you know the North came for something that we didn't form for, so they shot the Keep Star to get us to fight. <laughs> so that's what I heard, but I'm not sure. And I'd, I'd love <laughs> to get the real story on that. Right. I, I think this happened yesterday in the middle of um, the day. I think Pro God was talking on uh, INN's The Meta Show and got pulled off halfway through. So I guess it was a surprise for you guys. Uh, and NCPL and Horde especially were in there fighting. Most of it was, uh, what, Feroxes and well, there, was, there was other groups of things in there too. Um, and the timer would stop and uh, go again as I was watching part of it. Uh, we were we were thinking of going live with it, but um, it was just a shield timer, and this can happen anytime, right? Um, but this did uh, be it was a successful operation for the North that was reinforcing the Keepstar and perimeter, which means we're going to see something on the armor timer too, and that will be uh, Monday, seventeen twenty, basically uh, UTC. So for Pacific time, that's about what, 9, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, about 12.30. And uh, occasionally uh, when you go to create timers like this, one of the strategies is to just disrupt your, your enemy's plans, right? So if a test had any plans this weekend or for where they wanted to do stuff, uh, they're going to have to stop <laughs> and uh, prepare everything for this, uh, for this keep star fight. Well, not everything, but they're going to have to seriously consider like, uh, what they're going to do for this keep star, because they need to keep that, that thing from going into armor. Cause then they start losing a bunch of money per day. 
And that, that's the big deal, right? Like if, okay, so the next thing that can happen, and this is going to be uh, tomorrow, Monday again, is the armor timer. And what can happen there is the North can show up or not show up. It's really, they've done all they need to do, but they are forcing uh, Tess to show up. So they have to assemble and they'll have to assemble big. And if they don't assemble big enough, then the North will see that as an opportunity to overcome them and attack. So they have to show not just, uh, they have to show in big numbers and maybe with allies. Yeah, and the, the nifty thing is that, you know, the anyone that's fighting test can do this whenever they want, right? So um, obviously they have to be able to put it in the reinforce, which is uh, not a small task, but they can distract tests and create this little timer uh, just whenever they please, because tests are now bound to this uh, keep star and perimeter. They might not say they're bound to it, but they like the money coming in from it. So, and it is a significant amount of income. So they're going to want to stop what they're doing to, to protect that. And just to add, you know, to what Elise is saying, the other thing is, you know, from the line members perspective, if we, you know, if you make them form and no fight happens, they blame you, <laughs> right? Like if, if the enemy doesn't show up, well, you just wasted their time. They have other things they want to do. That's fair. That's fair criticism. Just kidding. You know, remind the listeners what it is that this Keepstar does and, uh, and what gets interrupted if they successfully uh, create an armor timer now at the next one. Yeah, so this, so the Tranquility Trading Tower, um, this was about three months ago uh, when it was ran by I Choose You, I see why we call him, and then it was contracted for protection from Horde. But basically right now, um, this is all of our high sec market. So for the most part, it's skill injectors, some high ticket items, because we have we offer a reduced rate. But on the same token, the things that are safe to travel with, like Plex, uh, that you can put in the Plex vault and easily move between stations, uh, those are in small asbells um, that we're kind of playing whack-a-mole with every every day or so. And you know, that kind of fluctuates back and forth and it's a constant fight. But, you know, the Keepstar represents all of Tess's high sec market. And in the grand scheme of things, uh, if you wanted to think about this as a rental property for Tess, it is the most um, profitable rental property we have. Yeah. And so uh, the way it works is uh, if you trade in an NPC station, there's a flat tax that's uh, what is it, like 10% or something of uh, everything you sell. If you have a, your own Citadel, you can change the tax to whatever you want. So the, the test Citadel drops it really, really low to encourage people to come in. But instead of the NPCs getting the, uh, getting the tax, test itself gets the tax. So it, instead of it becoming an ISK sync, they just get to, to profit off of it, which is good. I mean, it represents a, a pretty fair amount of money. And that's not interrupted at the shield timer, but is interrupted at the armor timer. Am I correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. So they need to prevent the next one is what they need to do. And so people are going to form up. It should be exciting. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. At least one side will form up. That's for sure. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that could be some of the tactics uh, employed in, in Monday's fight or non-fight. 
But uh, there's a lot of preparation for that because this is not NullSec. This is HiSec. So we saw some war decks go up on the board. One of them was Bastion. Uh, Who oh, did that happen? Yes. War decking Pandemic Legion. And it's kind of funny because in TIS Discord, uh, you could see Headliner tap you on the shoulder and saying, what's this about? So Carneros, uh, as head of Bastion, like, what, what's going on with, with that? Is that related? Well, two glasses of champagne, and I accidentally clicked on something. I don't, I don't know. You accidentally hit the red button? <laughs> yes. I mean, I've, I've done that before. I've, uh, I've declared war on some people who were uh, making fun of me in the role play form uh, of Vivo Online. So I declared war on uh, some role players. <laughs> then I declared war on someone else who was, I was playing a mobile game. Uh, and they were like, oh, I play EVE Online, the coolest mobile game ever, or the coolest and most hardcore game ever. You, you, this doesn't mean anything to me. So I just war decked them. <laughs> and then they stopped playing. <laughs> feels feels a little bit bad, but... Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe someone can estimate income from the Kickstarter to let our listeners understand how high stakes uh, in this fight about it. Just to give some, maybe, count. Yeah. That's a very good question, Seth. The uh, and if it's if it's high enough, maybe you guys get involved too. Um, but the the amounts that people they won't say, right? They won't actually say. They'll say what the other guy was making. In other words, Horde owned this territory before. They had the, the trading market up in perimeter, and they were making what's what they say was you know five hundred billion. That's what five hundred billion a month is what Pro God said they were making. Now they say that. Vili said that they were cord was probably making a a trillion per month, and those might be exaggerations. Not sure, um, but test won't say how much they're making. Ron, do you know how much they're making? Uh, well, so I will say that the only public um, kind of figure that's been given is, you know, to psych up people for a fight that was happening. Vili uh, took a picture of the wallet and said, hey, here's one trillion isk, um, you know, that we've gotten from uh, this Keepstar. So, uh, you know, but the, the numbers aren't public. Well, and they probably aren't the same either, because when he published that, it was in the middle of a buying craze for uh, injectors. So I think it's probably within, I would say 500 million to uh, one trillion, somewhere in between there, Seth, is probably what they make every month on taxes. Oh, it's worth fighting for. Yeah, definitely. And they fight for this every day, right? Doesn't uh, Test have a police force that goes around and wipes out competition every day? We do. It's actually uh, really funny. It's the Perimeter Police Department, and it's the HiSec uh, SIG, and it's also a corporation. But, you know, the real thing is... You know, because we can't have a lot of directors in test that can just willy nilly, uh, you know, declare war on all these corps. In this small corp, we can have a lot of directors because, uh, you know, as we were talking, you know, to uh, some people in uh, the Talking in Stations public channel yesterday, someone was joking and said, hey, you know, I dropped an Asbel and it took you guys 33 minutes <laughs> to find it and to declare war war on us so that's really kind of you know that our little high set kind of sig and it's for fun and 
a lot of people enjoy that sort of level of play, but it's for finding those Asbels and declaring war on them when someone from Test isn't around that has those roles. Yeah, it's not a lot of people do get to try out that part of the game. Uh, so when it, when we saw yesterday that a timer was going to be coming and we wanted to participate and we decided, well, the Bastion's going to war deck too so we can get in on the fight. My number two said, oh, oh, can I do it? I said, sure. So he got to go in and click the buttons and see what it was like. Yeah. Again, what happens is you have this big market in this system and competition is constantly popping up. And are they using uh, high sec mechanics that have changed recently? The war deck mechanics as effectively to defend against you guys? What's going on there? Yeah, that's a that's a big thing, you know, and we were talking about it with the CSM this week and we submitted a ticket on it to CCP. But basically, it's just gaming the war deck mechanics. So I drop a pos, you declare war on me. I then pull the pos, which invalidates the war, but the war hasn't even started yet because there's a 24 hour ramp up time. And then there's a 24 hour invalidation time. And then uh, during those two timers, you drop the pos again. But if you drop the pos again, then you can't get war decked again. So it's just dropping the pos and picking it up and dropping it and picking it up and starting these multiple timers that we have to kind of wiggle between. And it, it it's just it's wonky because it's it's unexpected. You don't know, you know, which timer and which corp, and it's just crazy. Wild. Well. Good luck. We will see tomorrow if there is a big fight. Um, yesterday's fight was uh, was quite long and uh, eventful. So it went from a, a shield timer. It was successfully reinforced by the north. And tomorrow we'll see the armor timer, the second timer. And then there will be a final timer if the armor timer is successfully um, achieved by the north. And uh, just pointing something out, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand how uh, war mechanics work and uh, how Crime Watch works as a system. So uh, if, for instance, Bastion decide that they want to uh, take part with uh, some other groups, uh, they have to. They can only rep Bastion members. If they rep anyone else, even if they share the same war, or even if they are allies in that war, like using the ally mechanic, uh, they will become suspect to everyone in EVE for five minutes. So it's a, it's a weird mechanic that even if you share a war, you can't rep someone outside of your own alliance. Otherwise, you will go suspect. And it's just like really hinky interaction. So if you're there, yeah, maybe take a tornado or something. And when someone goes uh, criminal flag, you just kill them. It'll be fun. So it'll be tie-dye if it happens. So you'll have plenty of time to, to shoot. Yeah, exactly. Also, I don't think that some rep can save someone from 100 or more Ferox. They melt everything. Instead, one Fox is ripping targets. <laughs> Probably not. We'll just bring Lodgy for show. We'll take off all the reppers and just fill them with DPS drones. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's the, that's the winning strategy. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll look for more action in Perimeter. That's the system right next to Jita, in case you're new to the game. So another thing is, oh, and let's make a quick correction. Um, is it Bananas? Banana Mars uh, says that yesterday, Vili on 
um, the Meta Show said that it's 300 to 400 billion a month. Uh, so that's what he said publicly. And by the way, Ron, uh, I know you know the real answer, but you're you're very good at covering yourself by speaking only about the public answer. I just work here. I just work yeah. here, sir. Good job. All right, let's move on to uh, Skill U is and has been, it turns out, the largest alliance as far as sob holding in the in the in, in the amount of systems that they have. So they have 223 systems that puts them at the top of the list on Dotland at least. And uh, you know, how did that happen? I mean, I think it's just a matter of when they when they pushed out the the DRF. Uh, they're the only ones that wanted to take stuff there, right? So they just uh, ended up uh, hovering it all up and then uh, try collapsed a little bit. So they hovered that up too. So now they just have a bunch of spades. Also, they don't have their uh, rental stuff in a separate alliance. So it uh, it means that they've got a large, I, I assume some of that is rented out. I think all of it's, I think they, they try to rent out all of it. I don't think they're, uh, serious about holding Sov, especially there, but I think that their main interests are to, to rent out the Sov. Yeah. Uh, Orion, you used to be in Triumvirate. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? He's not getting up. All right. Well, uh, so we assume that it is Triumvirate space. Funny enough, Scourge is, um, you guys have a good rep, good, uh, relationship with skill you, right? Yes. Some kind of. We are blue to them and we have uh, same interest uh, right now. And we had them like for two months, maybe, or maybe three months. I have some good uh, friend of mine in Skill Youth who introduced me to their leadership, like Apco or Bara. So, and we started working together against three. So it's a recent development that you guys are. Uh uh allied you don't you don't have a deep history or anything yeah we are strong allies now oh, okay um do you know uh what they intend to do with all that territory are they just holding it are they renting it just renting it like uh, we are renting all our soft this is just easy money for pvp or more titans more super carriers i have like um if this system on for my alliance and only one system for my members rating so everyone <laughs> is rented out everything is right oh, no sorry is it, is it hard to find renters over there no it's pretty easy there are a lot of people who want to rent some space out oh interesting uh, orion is your mic working uh, i hope so now yeah we can hear you yay Discord does funky things with me. But like I was saying, Tri was like one of the top 10 sob holding alliances for as small as we were. We owned nearly almost two complete regions, including some space in Dedarid, uh, Inns Mother, of course, uh, Scalding Pass, some sob there, and that's all gone now. So of, when Skill Youth took over all that. Uh, so anyway, uh, Thalcy Mine makes it. A- interesting question here what what regions are we actually talking about when we're talking about renters and where uh skill U is and stuff so most of their renters are in paragon falls in fact i think all of their renters are in paragon falls 
uh, which is uh, in the drone regions. It's kind of near Venal-ish, kind of near Malpace, so it's kind of next to uh, bot space as well. Um, they also own Owasa and uh, Inn's Mother, which they kind of recently picked up, but I don't think they have that many renters there. I, I don't think that area is populated like at all. I think the Peregrine Falls area is quite um, unpopulated now because uh, Goonswarm ran a campaign against renters in this area, so some of them moved to a different place. It was like one month campaign. They killed some supers and some Rorquals here. You can just look Killboard history. They did good. They used a lot of wormholes to do it. Ah, and one of the neat things where if you own a lot of space, as uh, Skillu does, if someone decides to camp one of your regions, uh, you don't necessarily lose renter income. You just relocate them to another area of space that you also own. So you're like, oh, if you're dying here and this area is not suitable for you, I've got these other systems that you can also have, like, many light years away. And the, if they have the infrastructure set up, then it's easy to, for them to move and get relocated. I don't know if they have the infrastructure set up for it, but I assume they do. The infrastructure is cheap, and uh, the income from renters is high. So waste, like, $3 billion to fully upgrade your system and you can take like 5 billion average price for each system so not bad it's it's crazy there are, there's a lot of appetite for people to rent i had i had a renter come through look at a system and offer me twice what the current renter was paying for the system uh and uh, it, it's just it's just crazy so, so what do you do there? <laughs> do you say, uh, do you, do you say to the guy that's living there, Hey, I know I gave this to you, but I got to take it back because somebody wants to pay more. No, I don't okay. do that. But I did introduce the two parties to each other and say, how, how do you guys feel about splitting it or working together in some way? And, um, that conversation for which I had very little expectation of success actually went a lot better than I thought it would. Yeah. Well, uh, Interestingly, we were talking uh, about, I think we were talking about Kavala Expanse that got attacked by Goonswarm, uh, or not Goonswarm, but a SIG from Goonswarm. It wasn't uh, Australian SIG, it was uh, uh, Kendar SIG, space violence led by his uh, minor of sea, and he's from China. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I thought it was yes. uh, Space Ghost that did that, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe Which just I think it's uh, Alice Homolosk. Oh, Alice. Alice is really good. Yeah. He was flying with us uh, some time ago, so I know him a bit. Yeah. He was smart enough to survive in Russian-speaking fleet. Uh, and uh, he is Chinese, so it was really hard for him, but he survived and he was even managed to rev some people and save them. And it was awesome. Yep. So. so you have someone speaking Chinese in a Russian fleet and he's still able to, uh, to do what he needs to do. That's a good player. He's a good FC. He speaks perfect English and he speaks perfect Chinese. There's, that's super valuable in EVE. Oh, and you would know because you speak Chinese too. Yeah, but mine's crappy and his is really, really good. Well, his, his Chinese is perfect. 
Maybe because it's his uh, native language. <laughs> yeah, he better exactly. speak. Uh, so he, he ransacks Kavala, uh, and Pandemic Horde decides they're going to not just leave it to die. They're, they've sent a group, I believe the Partisans, to go and to at least make it harder for people to, to wreck it, right? That, well, that's what I've heard uh, recently. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Horde again soon. Uh, and see, see, you know, what the progress is there. So they're not giving up uh, Kalevala Expanse, uh, if my information is correct. And I think uh, there's two things about that. You know, the first is the kind of burn to the ground uh, portion of it, which is, you know, if you're reinforcing iHubs, you reset their ADMs, which resets all, you know, of the upgrades and just, you know, you have to start fresh. And the second you know, sort of thing about that is it creates timers. And this is what we were just talking about, which is uh, if you have all of these timers going, you have to make choices with your one or two fleets. So you have to say, hey, do I go here or do I have to protect this timer? And, you know, we've encountered that a couple of times where we're going to an Asbel just the other day. There were two Asbels back to back. Um, they beat us on the first one, but on the second one, they had to go to timers. So we won the second one pretty easily. So, it, you know, there's a lot of the meta game because when we talk about the timers and we talk about structures, all this is happening at the same time. So choices have to be made by at the alliance level or the CEO level. All right. Other things that have happened in the news real quick is Waffles lost a revenant, which, uh, God, that used to be such huge news. Elise, when, when those ships first came out, like how, how hot were they? Uh, they were super. Everyone who liked to uh, to drop their supers on stuff always wanted a revenant just because of the bonuses it gets. It's incredibly agile. The the fighters are super powerful, and you can basically drop it without getting caught uh, pretty easily. I say that as like, <laughs> it's died. So, um, but I, I guess only one of them died. The waffles do drop with uh, two of them. And I know uh, Lord Mop is the one who is uh, kind of the super hunter in, in CVA. He's kind of like the the wrecking crew, that, but in CVA. And uh, he's been trying to catch these uh, these this pair of revenants for the last like month and a half. Like he's just been ready to drop uh, his little dread bomb. Well, not little, but he's been ready to drop his dread bomb like every day, like every other day. He's like trying to to do bait ops to kind of get them out. And he finally caught a. Uh, caught waffles as they were as they were sleeping and got a uh they got a wyvern as well as the revenant uh the nidhogger got away so really good uh prioritization on that one when they first came out there was another reason why they were popular also there was some kind of um at one point if i remember correctly at one point they changed the jump ranges of all the other super caps but forgot about the revenant because it was this other faction thing on the side. So it temporarily had slightly more jump range than all the rest. And people were like, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, nice. I did not know that, but that is uh, that is also pretty fantastic. It's good to be rare. Yeah. When the Vendetta came out, like the, the love for the Revenant dropped a little bit. But you know, I think people still like it. And this is the, the second Waffle Revenant that uh, Lord Mop has, has caught. So... I think personally that Revenant is one of the best super carriers in game and it is almost unvulnerable to any dread bomb. 
So if the Revenant pilot is good enough, he can survive even in harder situation. Even if 50 dreads will fall on him, he still have a good chance to escape. Uh, but I found the strange thing. This Revenant pilot used a strange set for his ship. He should have used high-grade snake. It's way better. Oh. I, I... Uh, I got to figure out how to do this because uh, I would like to survive a dread bomb. He just uh, turn off his uh, AB and get out um, far enough from dreads. Just he sees Sino and overheat his afterburner and run. Yeah, because the ship goes really, really fast uh, in terms of speed. And uh, he cannot be scrambled. So, and Zebs are working very bad on supercarriers. So. He just uh, gets away from dreads in like maybe oh, 20 seconds or something like this. He will be already 70 kilometers off and dreads, uh, if they are close range, they really won't hit them good enough on this distance. So he is some kind of safe. Hmm. So uh, I didn't know waffles are still kicking around Providence. They're, they're uh, fighting down there. Yeah, that's their, they, they're like the exact size to where they're like too big to do something small in, in, or something massive in low sec without getting stomped on by snuff. Uh, but they, so they're just the right size to, uh, to roam through Providence and, uh, you know, fight them without, without burning Providence out too hard uh, because they, they can't seriously contest all of Providence uh, sob wise, but they can, they can fight and, and make a, CVA form, and if CVA kind of slip a little bit, they can get punished. And I think they roam around a lot as well. There is no need to really contest Providence because Providence form for every timer and they give oh, fun. We uh, also create some jump bridges timers when we have nothing to kill and CVA format for all of them and we had some very nice fights with them. They are good enough of this but there is no reason to kill them at all it will be hard mistake to really come and destroy cva because it's some kind of a fountain of life and it was all time all of history yeah for ages and ages people play with uh, providence but they don't actually want to kill it or cva basically um another couple things in the news are it looks like uh, Razor has 2,000 members. Is that just on paper or that is Razor back? <laughs> I like how those two words go together. I wonder what that... I don't know. All right, we'll look into that. Because I thought that was kind of interesting. That's a lot of dead uh, bodies and what a horrible way to say that. That's a lot of population <laughs> for uh, an alliance that is completely inactive. So something might be going on there. Be interesting. Yeah, it's one of the, the most storied alliances in the game in terms of history, so it'd be neat to see if they, they're coming back. I, I don't see it coming, but maybe. I wanted to join them. I applied to join them. At the same time I was transitioning to uh, NC, I was weighing options, and Razor was one of the groups I actually applied to and uh, checked out, but uh, it didn't turn out that way. Um Another thing is uh, the Keepstar in MTO. What's the strangeness around that? Anyone know? I don't either. <laughs> um, so from what I understood is uh, the group that, that owned it, that owned the Keepstar, got mad 
and they kind of flipped a little bit. So they just took the keep star. And uh, so the guys that are living there are just like, you know what? Screw you. We're take we're gonna kill our own keep star with our own ships in it. So you can't have it. It was an internal squabble, right? Uh, like the, somebody who owns a keep star, it's not just that you don't control it as a corporation or as a an alliance, but uh, it's not just that you don't control it. It's that it can be used against you if it's given to somebody else. We saw that happen in the North when corporations that own their own keep stars in, in an alliance were able to give that keep star to Goonswarm that was invading GOTG. And so uh, GOTG has these corporations that are basically flipping and giving their, their you know, operating station to the enemy. And that's very damaging. So you can't trust that. You can't have a neutral keep star near you. So if you don't 100% control it, you got to destroy it. And I think that's what happened here. And you'll notice that after the things that happened in the north between GOTG and its corporations that were flipping to Goon Swarm, all of NC said all uh, keep stars are under one corporation, and that is the lead corporation in NC, with no exceptions. Yeah, we uh, PL had that same uh, that same thing from from the beginning when Citadel started. We we're like, yeah, let's just leave them all under one corp. It'll be easy. Uh, pretty interesting. So, <clears throat> does somebody have the link to little? Somebody have the link to Twitch so we can put it inside our channel so Shadow can have it, so Seth can have it. Thank you. Ta-da. Okay. And so let's move on to something I've been uh, eagerly anticipating, and that is talking to Seth about himself and Scourge, who we've heard a lot about. Uh, for those of you that don't know Scourge, they are essentially allied with Skill U, uh, pretty much in the, uh, well, we can ask him all these questions, but um, basically what we know is that they are very, very feared by Test and Legacy and other groups that fight them because they are incredibly capable at fighting, and we'll find out why uh, in just a moment. So Seth, um, Shadow, by the way, you have two O's in there, so it reminds me of Shadu. Did you pick your name based on that? No. Okay. Uh, how old is your character, by the way? Mm, which one? I have <laughs> lots of them. I was playing this game like for 10 or more years, so there is uh, no reason to ask this question. I left it uh, like four years ago five years ago for a long period but then i have returned to play it again it's some kind of drug that you can live without so pretty interesting game yeah super addictive okay so seth shadu has nothing to do with shadu of pandemic legion uh one of the storied fcs that no longer plays uh, <clears throat> but seth you are the lead fc and ceo of Scourge. So first, tell me about yourself, um, when you played and who you played with, uh, who you flew with, um, and then we'll talk about Scourge. It's a long history, actually. It will take a lot of time, but I was uh, I started playing in some random XIX uh, Renter Alliance uh, like 10 years ago, then I moved to Red Alliance, then I moved to Dark side, as I remember, 
to to Goon Swarm and after Goon Swarm I moved to my own alliance, then I disbanded it and moved to Init. After playing in Init I were playing in my own alliance, old one. I actually don't even remember how it was called when I joined Darkseid. It was famous Russian roaming alliance and I left the game completely for like four years. And after this, I returned back to the game and created this Scourge Alliance. That's like a full story and in short. Why did you create Scourge and what's the purpose of Scourge? Oh, it was uh, the only purpose of this alliance is to entertain myself because I was <laughs> some kind of, yeah, it sounds um, interesting, but uh, when I came back to the game, I haven't found any Russian speaking alliance that I wanted to play this. So I have to do something about uh, it and I began to build uh, a group of players who interested in pure PvP and that's how Alliance was created because there was no Russian Alliance that I wanted to join. Maybe only Project Mayhem but they are they were only a low sec group and I wanted to play in NoSec a lot too. Seth I just wanted to ask kind of based you know how do you feel about the Russian community because I know that you know, we have a very strong Russian community, but that's from an outsider, right? So I don't know, but I do know that there are tons of very skilled Russian pilots and that, uh, you know, you guys tend to form corporations and groups together. But I, I just kind of wanted, you know, like if you, you know, were kind of guessing about the pulse, right? Or, or if the Russian com community was growing or staying the same or what you thought about it. I think it is slightly dying because uh, when I was playing like oh, seven years before, it were lots of strong PvP alliances in Russian community like AAA, like Stan Empire, like Solar Fleet, like maybe old XIX and uh, oh, like Darkseid and some kind of uh, early Gorgon Empire. It was lots of alliances, but now there are only maybe two strong Russian groups. It's Snuff Russians, like Faye and uh, Elite Pilots led by Tau AD, of course, he's Russian-speaking player and he leads a huge group of Russians. They are pretty skilled, they are something that people should learn how to play from them. What, and, uh, what, what group are they in? Uh, I two snuff corps. It's uh, elite pilots, uh, Tau AD corp, and uh, uh, Far East ENC, the second corp led by Oscar. And they're in snuff, you said. Yes, they are in snuff both. And uh, second group is actually my group. There are lots lots of skilled players, but actually it were more skilled players in my group like one year ago because uh, a lot of them are just tired from game and uh, retired this happens so now i am trying to work out and train more people 
to be bad. So it's hard, but uh, actually some people are willing to learn. So maybe in next future we will be as good as we were one year ago. What what's the relationship like between Scourge and Snuff? There is no relationship between Scourge and Snuff, but I just know Tau, I just know Hai, and I know Bitid, and we are talking, and I don't, I can't call them friends, maybe you can, but it depends on their feelings, but I don't, don't dislike them. We are like people who are playing against each other, sometimes we are playing with each other, and we are all good about this. It was like uh, Tau dropped, tried to kill my Alliance Titan uh, in one day. And after this, we were planning something together already. So no hard feelings, really. So I'm looking at the influence map, and it looks like your territory is kind of between fraternity and uh, the drone regions. You're in um, Immensia, is it? We are playing some game in Immensia, yes. It's just a fun game to get some content of it. I see. So you're attacking it, but I misspoke. I meant uh, you're over in like Great Wildlands area and in some other. Well, we have some area for renters, yes, to make some alliances. There are two systems for alliance uh, renters who want to <laughs> crap <laughs> something. And uh, other systems are rented out. That's crab with a B, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have renters in the in the area that we see you on the map. That's really rented out to people, and you keep that kind of safe. And you guys explore and find content or fights basically everywhere else, including uh, uh, right now. Where are you most active when you're roaming around? We are roaming around the XIX area and Immensia. So Tenerife, Immensia, and uh, of course we protect our renter space like Scalding and Smother. Oh, of course, Curse is always full of content. And uh, actually, I don't like to focus on some area. I always uh, scan some wormholes and ask people to scan them. So we can get into any part of EVE, and uh, this is very good for content and targets. For example, yesterday we killed the Shadow Cartel Cups in Wolfsack via Wormhole, baited them on a Dreadnought, and got some shiny kills. Yeah, and Shadow Cartel are not bad. They have, uh, they've been around a long time too, so you took them down. Um, what do you guys like to fly? Do you have specialties that you like? Uh, certain ships? Yes, we have some alliance uh, formats for actions, but my favorite uh, ship is Macarial, of course. Just like it. Shield Macarial, even. I flied it even before it got uh, boosted in the last patch. I think for some reason, uh, the curse alert, the region of curse has like always been home to a lot of really strong Russian groups, and that led them to, uh, or maybe I don't know if it's cause or effect, but uh, the Macarial and people living in curse always seem to go hand in hand. I know, uh, like uh, Bright Side of Death is a group that basically live in curse forever. Uh, Faffy Waffy's group, Old Dark Side, used to live in curse. They just love the Macarial. 
What is it? What is it that makes it like your favorite ship? Is it just the way it looks, or just because it's fast and does a lot of damage? Ah, uh, it's Alpha. Alpha is always good to counter huge blob of logi. That's why I like it. You can fight any count of enemy lodges and still kill shit. Yeah. So, uh, Macarial's, uh real quick, Elise. What's the nature of a Macarial? Like, why? Who uses it, and why? Uh, well, I mean, it's not used uh, too much anymore, but it was for the longest time the most versatile battleship because you could do uh, long range, short range, shield tank, armor tank, anything you wanted to do it would fit into literally any doctrine that you would want. Uh, and it's super agile as well in terms. It basically handles a little bit better than many battle cruisers, or at least it did until it got nerfed a little bit. Yeah, a, a super fast ship. They used to say it flew as fast as cruisers, which is a much smaller ship. Uh, when you have uh, when you have diver- um, the ability to 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 do either shield or armor tanking uh, or to fit it a certain you know way, if you can obscure what you're actually flying, that's an advantage, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it used to be a, a bigger advantage now. It seems like uh, these days everyone kind of knows what to expect when you undock in a certain ship, just because, uh, at least for the bigger groups, basically everyone's inundated with uh, with spies or you know they just have some some inkling of what's going to happen but for for smaller groups and medium-sized groups it's absolutely uh, crucial because you see a group of max if you don't see the lodges with them you have no idea what they're they're going to be fitting or the lodges give them away interesting uh seth so so you like macarials do you guys fly nightmares too i imagine you fly everything but... yes we fly nightmares too uh, actually, we had some bad experience with them in some fights because I uh, have led Nightmare fleets too few times and didn't have much experience. But uh, yeah, that's also very cool fleet, and I like it too. Are you guys able to escalate if uh, people drop caps on you? Is that part of your repertoire? Maybe you can look through our killboards and find some death, dead uh, supercarriers and titans. Yes, we have a pretty huge dread bomb. Not so huge as Snuff, maybe, or uh, other huge alliances, but up to 30 dreadnoughts is formed quite fast from us. Like one ping, five minutes, and 30 dreadnoughts on an enemy supercarrier. We got uh, two test supercarriers last time. Uh, it was flash form. My friend catched them with an interjector, and with you, I used our Drake roaming fleet to hold them and dreads to kill them fast enough. So, mm. but you guys use everything, and you guys use wormholes to get around to find. Uh people to, to kill. So do you just kill everybody they run into, or do you have special enemies that you like to go after? I don't think we have special enemies uh, at all. Mm, it was time that I don't like the PSOT alliance from Curse, but this time is a long time gone. So we are just killing all neutrals people to us and some of them are annoying actually like scalding past dudes who are trying to attack our retinors or sovereignty but it's they are trying to play their game so i can't blame them a lot i can be mad on them because they don't let me play 
something that I want to play and I have to kill them, but in the end it's kills and content at all. No hard feelings about them. Maybe after some time they will annoy me too much. I will bring my fleets and kill their citadels, but it won't be soon enough. Seth, what's your what's Scourge's relationship like with fraternity? We have uh, a non-invasion agreement with them now, and I know their cell. He is a pretty interesting person. He is funny, young and funny. So uh, we are not shooting them because they let us live near XIX and immense people and uh, fight them. So, but some of actually Winter Coalition Tudors tried to attack our people and. Also, it was one super carrier who decided that he's smart enough to kill our roaming fleet and be not being dropped, so he died. It happens. <laughs> so we are not hostile to fraternity and other people of Winter Coalition, but if they try to kill us, we have to shoot them back. Also, some my alliance members are stupid enough to attack them <laughs> without any reason. <laughs> we have some like that too. I think everybody does. So, who are some of your allies? Like on, who are some of your allies that are? I don't know if you can talk publicly about it, but who are you allied with? Who are your friends besides fraternity? Uh, and our friends are skill yourself, of course. They are our strong blues. And uh, also uh, Unspoken Alliance and Ethereum Reach Coalition. They were flying uh, in the same fleet with us against Prothean and Novella alliances. Novella are now skill you renters, so we stopped an offensive against them. And uh, uh, Prothean are just not fighting us because we have too much ships for them to fight with. <laughs> you grew too big. Yeah, sometimes. So I don't like to fight small groups because they can't give us enough content. They just dock up if they we blob them. And I can't tell to people in my fleet like, oh, we have too much people in my fleet. Uh, you 10 people go dock and go do your business and we will go fight them. It's not going to work like this. Very sad, but no. So from our perspective, um, from talking in stations perspective, we have people from all over the map uh, and we talk to each other and compare notes and talk about who we see coming up and stuff like that. And Scourge keeps coming up over and over and over again as a alliance to watch because they are uh, really good pilots and um, they are, you know, winning fights that they have no business winning. Um, and, the, you know, that almost like the bigger groups that are much bigger than you fear fighting you guys, or at least their FCs do. That's a good reputation to have. As I told, it was a reputation from the previous years. Now we have to improve ourselves a bit. And this is fair, my fair opinion about us. But soon I think we can get through it. Just people are getting tired from game and leave. 
but mm. new people come and learn. Yeah. How do you recruit? Uh, do Russian groups recruit differently than uh, other groups like European or American groups, or is it all the same? Actually, I am not running any uh, recruiting campaign. Most the most people who came to my alliance are just friend of someone who already joined us. It's work like this, and actually, I don't like uh, public forums, and I post on them, but my posting is so awful, you <laughs> know. So I don't want to talk about this and uh, <laughs> people but uh, sometimes it feels for people who shouldn't be in our lines who like something which is too popular they are just f see something for them and want to join it it's bad people they always will run when it will be time for a real fight and mm. people who come with uh, just being friend of someone, they stay even in a bad situation. And we are always in a bad situation, surrounded by enemies. So we need people like this. Are strong enough to survive these situations. That is a very interesting point. So it's not reputation or advertising or good posting that gets you the members that you want. The members you want are the ones that'll stick around when times get tough and those are usually friends of friends that already are enjoying the group that's what i'm hearing you say seth yeah so you get me right good so speaking of friends seth i just wanted to ask and this is for me uh my favorite russian streamer is lucy lu uh do you have a relationship with him or because i just i, I can't understand a thing he says but the gameplay is absolutely amazing. He isn't a friend of mine because we live in two different cities and I have never met him IRL. That's, and I really worked with him like two times, I think, when they tackled something and they asked us to help them kill these things. So, so he has called you in a couple of times to, to help him with something that was too big to kill himself. Yes. Uh, do you got, do you or anyone else in your group stream or, uh, anything like that? I don't let people to stream, uh, our comps. So it will be very boring to watch. <laughs> I see. Were you in the battle of BTACR, Seth? Uh, no, and this is good for me because maybe if I was in it, I weren't playing this game anymore. So I am happy that I was doing some RL things during this awful battle. I don't think it was a good gameplay to sit like 24 hours and watch some Titans die. Not interesting for me, actually. Yeah, it was epic, but not for me. You know, that's very interesting because everybody wants to be part of the big fights, the ones that people talk about for ages like us, you know, and those people that were in it 
were like, oh, it was it wasn't that fun. It wasn't that great. It took a long time. But you're smart enough to know never get involved in those in the first place. Keep it keep it manageable. Keep it fast and keep it fun. Yes. Well, they, he, he has the disadvantage of being in the Russian time zone. So that's at the beginning of the day, of the eve day. So if you get involved in something that's going to last until downtime, that's a long stretch. I live in California. Half of that is gone by the time we get involved in the battle. So we only get a half a day of uh, uh, to go until downtime. So we're kind of lucky and yet late. It's hard to explain. The Rus the Russians uh, who participated in the battle fought much longer than the Californians did. Yeah. Actually, I think the Russian time zone is now is full of content because it's between the time Chinese time zone, and there are a lot of Chinese in the game, and they are the reactive players. They are not like others. They are aggressive and they bring fleets to kill everyone who enters their space. This is awesome. The Chinese players are just awesome. And uh, then after Chinese time zone comes Russian time zone. So we cross Chinese time zone and we cross EU time zone. And EU time zone is full of lots of players. It's, I think, the hugest time zone of all EVE Online because most of players, uh, EVE Online players are EU time zone. So. That's a good point. And it's probably what I wanted to ask you about uh, the Chinese and uh, Russians. Like what's your, what's your view about like the activity that's happening in those hours? Because I asked this because I've noticed that when I'm up late, uh, I can see that the numbers don't go down as as low as they used to, uh, which strikes me as something's changed. Either more people are playing in the Pacific time code time zone, or new types of players have come to play. Um, so, it, as far as like Russians and Chinese, uh, do you feel like there are more players playing in those time zones than there were? Oh, in time is in time niche, Chinese time zone, of course, because uh, there are lots of Chinese newcomers, Chinese players. But EU time zone is uh, like the same. It uh, many years ago, it's always very full of players, actually. Yeah, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but check out the. Um... Check out the low tide in Eve's sea population, and you'll you'll notice that it doesn't go as low as it used to. So, I get on, and I used to see say eighteen thousand players, and this is back in uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, which was kind of a low, you know, it's when I started when it was a smaller population, and then it went up to like twenty five thousand and stuff. But then it came back down, right? Like after two thousand fourteen, and when that came back down, we got as low as like fifteen thousand people playing you know, at late Pacific time zone. And that just seemed like a really low number. And now it's back up to 23,000. So I was thinking, wow, a lot of people are playing EVE online. And then I look at how many people play EU time zone and it's still only 30 or, you know, 30,000, 35,000 playing. So I think that's that's flattened out quite a bit. Like the, the valley and the, the mountains are not as high and low as they used to be, which is interesting. I'll have to look into that. 
thing we're going to pre prepare to talk about BTAC R five years later. But I did want to get to this portion of the show because on January 27th, 2014, a colossal fight happened. It was the biggest by far. We're going to watch a little video here just to give everybody context that wasn't here in 2014. It's a day I will remember for the rest of my life. The Battle of BTAC-R 5RB raged for over 20 hours, involved tens of thousands of players, and witnessed the destruction of over 3,000 ships, including 75 Titans, one-third of all Titans ever lost in the 10-year history of EVE Online. It was truly the most remarkable confrontation ever to take place inside a computer game. As happens so often in history, the catalyst for an event this large was something quite small. In this case, an unpaid sovereignty bill. The M3 Coalition had used a single station in BTAC-R as the forward staging post in its long-standing war against the CFC-Russ Coalition. When the sovereignty dropped, CFC-Russ saw the opportunity to deal a blow to M3. Both sides quickly mobilized their forces, causing skirmishes to erupt all over the region as ships moved in to capture or defend the system. Two hours after the sovereignty drop, CFC Russ had assembled their forces and jumped into BTAC-R with a massive fleet, including their super capitals. N3 immediately assembled its already outnumbered forces into its signature wrecking ball formation. Thousands watched as the two sides faced off, exchanging volley after volley from their doomsday weapons. Countless flashes from beams and bombs were punctuated by the occasional blinding light from an exploding titan. Truly, there was no turning back. Four hours into the engagement, the two sides stood roughly even, but N3 realized it couldn't match its opponent's ability to replenish their forces. Deciding that it would have to disrupt coordination between Russ and CFC to secure victory, N3 focused its firepower on the Russ fleet commander. In the process, N3 would suffer the loss of five more of its own Titans before finally destroying its opponent's Avatar flagship. N3 would never again match its opponent's strength, but its forces stayed on the battlefield for another eight hours. Ultimately though, N3 sounded the retreat. When the fighting ceased, 20 hours after it began, over $300,000 worth of ships have been obliterated, with N3 losing 59 Titans to 16 from CFC Russ. N3 was forced to retreat from BTAC-R and neighboring regions, but the war has raged on, even as both sides seek to rebuild. However the current conflict ends, pilots who venture into BTAC-R will see the shattered remains of the once magnificent ships that were lost in this titanic clash. Now condemned to drift in cold, unforgiving space, forever. All right, welcome back. Uh, so that was to give you guys some context on BTEC-R and uh, how significant it was up to that moment. Now we've seen fights that are much bigger. 
and uh, were, um, you know, uh, much more at stake when, when the fights happened. But up until that time in history, five years ago this day, VTAC-R was, was just a, a skyscraper in a small town. It was gigantic. So uh, to talk about that, we've, we've got uh, Elise here with us and Carneros. Both were in the fight. Uh, and uh, well, I guess we'll open it up to all you guys, but Carneros, we'll start with you. Like, what was it like for you? Well, um, I get up early in the morning and uh, I saw that stuff was happening and I saw uh, pings going on in, in the Imperium. Um, and then when the first, when the first Titan died, I copied and pasted it to CCP Navigator. And I said, bro, wake up, stuff's happening on Facebook. Uh, and uh, I, I get to work in the morning at uh, Sony Online Entertainment. And I tell my boss, Smed, John Smedley, that there's a big fight happening. Three Titans are dead by now. Actually, it was two Titans had died by, that, by the point I got to work. Um, a third Titan dies, and I say something on exec row where I was sitting. And um, they turn to me and say, take the rest of the day off. Go home. Do what <laughs> you have to do. Don't lose your Titan this time, meaning because they're giving me shit about losing my Titan in the Fountain War. Just and a few months to, before, right? Not that. Yeah, it wasn't that long before. And they said, um, keep us posted. So I, I'm spoiled rotten. I got to drive home and spend the rest of the day connected into the game. We played all day. I didn't lose my avatar. Um, I, at the, towards the end, I had to calculate whether or not I could fit in one more doomsday and still be able to, uh, in tie-dye, be able to then evacuate my ship afterwards to go somewhere safe because you can't move your ship for X period of time after firing a doomsday uh, weapon. Um, and I, I managed to get out um, with less than 30 seconds left before downtime closed. I managed to get into a safe pause in another system. It was tricky, tricky, tricky. But uh, uh, yeah, it was slow and long and exciting and exhausting and it had gravitas and significance it was it was amazing and was a feeling you you can't get in another video game at least what was your experience with it so i got in kind of halfway through i wasn't there at the the very start uh but then so i had two titans that i was trying to jump in at the same time to after the fight looked like it was pretty much lost, but I didn't want to be like that guy that was just like, Oh, it's lost. I'm not going to show up. Well, <laughs> uh, so I started jumping in both my Titans after, um, like after it seemed pretty, pretty clear that we we're horribly outnumbered. And I just, uh, like hang around, talk to people because there's in time dilation, everything slows down in time dilation with Titan doomsdays. You're talking about an almost an hour between doomsday shots where you can just you have to fill that time. You have to keep people engaged. So it's just a matter of like chatting with people, walking around, doing stuff around the, the house, coming back, seeing if we could fight doomsdays again and uh, trying to decide what to do, uh, what we're going to do afterwards, what games we want to play later and stuff like that. 
uh, and also like just constant pinging to get more and more people in, uh, just to to see if we get like a pound of flesh out of it at the, of killing some more people, uh, because quickly early on, like the video doesn't do it quite justice, but we lost uh, critical mass really fast in terms of titans. Like uh, there was some trading going on very early, but the way it works is, uh, I mean, it's doomsdays are just uh alpha just pure alpha and so once you if you have a certain amount you can kill anything with those number of doomsdays if you drop below that critical mass you can't do crap because if you get a a titan to 99 percent health or to one percent health uh he's just going to be repped up by the time uh you have another doomsday uh volley to go through and super carriers which we had and uh, carriers and dreads uh, in high time dilation and, and high lag, they aren't always effective. Uh, so you can't really rely on them to apply the DPS too much. We were using super carriers to bring more fuel to the Titans because it takes a lot of fuel to fire your doomsday. Uh, you, you definitely want it to be completely full before jumping in to a battle like that and, f and just trying to chain doomsday one per hour all all the way to downtime that's a lot of fuel yeah and it's a it's a scale of a fight that we hadn't really seen before in terms of titan like we've seen some pretty big capital slugfests where you need but they've always usually been in dreadnoughts right uh, and there's been a lot of fights that have been close to btacar beforehand um, in fact the the week beforehand in a system called head gp which a lot of uh, people know uh Pandemic Legion had a showdown against the exact same forces, except this time uh, Pandemic Legion were kind of pr more prepared and it wasn't a soft drop thing. Uh, and Billy, who was the fleet commander of the Halloween War for the goon side, and uh, the Russians came in with all of their dreads saying, today is the day we make PLN N3 bleed or NC dot bleed. Uh, this is where we're going to show it. And so they, they had this plan it completely failed because when they jumped in the the game like it didn't load for them because uh, <laughs> they were jumping in like 700 dreads at the same time and it, it just didn't work and so it was a bit of a disaster and it's so funny uh that in eve online one of the biggest battles happens just because there was a mistake made no one planned for it there is nothing uh there are no like plans on the table this wasn't like uh written up anywhere it was just one group escalating uh, on a mistake that they saw. And the mistake that they saw was Pandemic Legion dropped sovereignty. And in fact, uh, it was a holding corp that was actually Nali Secunda at the time uh, in Manfred Sidious's holding corp. So the sovereignty dropped and Razor Alliance of all, all groups, we were just talking about them earlier, uh, they came in and started to shoot the station. Because back then, for those that aren't aware, uh, in the Sov, before Aegis Sov, uh, once the TC was dead, the station became 100% vulnerable. So you can uh, flip the station through shields, armor, and then structure, and then it would flip to the new owner. So in this case, it would have been all of PL and N3's stuff would have been in a Razor or Goon-controlled station. And that would have been disastrous. So PL was like, oh, geez, well, we can just park um, all of our supers on here, and we'll just hold the station while our new TCU goes up which is a seven hour process. So Pandemic Legion, who was busy flipping stations in the North for another issue that happened, came back, took the station back from Razor and put up their own TCU 
and they were guarding it with supercarriers, a small contingent of supercarriers on the station grid itself, guarding this TCU. And then Lazarus Tellraven, uh, a story at FC for Goon Swarm, was like, hey guys, this is a, a pretty good chance for us. Like, we can probably outmaneuver them here and out-escalate them. Let's drop everything we have right now. And he just gave the go-ahead for the goons and the Russians to drop literally everything they had. Just drop the hammer, ping everything while they were dropping it to try and force and NC dot and PL to match the escalations. And as it happened, uh, PL could not even get close to matching the escalation. And so it just kept spiraling and spiraling and snowballing and snowballing in their favor. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting things that happens there in the escalation, the, the psychology of escalating or not escalating. Um, what was going on before head GP before BTAC R this was basically the uh, aftermath of the fountain war that had ended in October. And uh, you have what is known as the Halloween war because uh, after fountain war ended, the Halloween war kind of started and went into the next year where people were fighting, not in Fountain, but over in Immensia area. And it was basically NC versus Russians. Uh, and then goons came down to help Russians and NC was actually N3 at the time. So it was Nelly Segunda, uh, NC Dot and, and more and Pandemic Legion was involved with that as well. And if I'm not mistaken, it was all part of um, a soft drop that Nully suffered at the hands of uh, the people who are now snuff. <laughs> uh, those people were in Nully at the time. Uh, the corp was Alna, and they dropped all of Sov uh, for the renter alliance that Nully had. And um, because it happened so suddenly, nobody was prepared to take it. So PL, NC, and N3 basically left the Fountain War to come and reclaim that. And they did it quickly, like in two or three days, they got most of the stations. And then later they started reconquering the Sov. But that opened up a window for Russians to try to take some Sov since it had all dropped. Why not? And that was the beginning of the Halloween War, uh, the way that I remember it. But what was going on as far as and is that does that sound right to you, Elise? Uh, more or less, I think the Sov drop happened a little bit closer to BTAC R. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, when the the Fountain War happened. Uh, PL wasn't really involved in it. It was kind of an N3 thing. Uh, PL were busy trying to win an Alliance tournament, which is where the the like kind of test meme came from for a while. Um, but you know, the after the N3 uh, and like uh, the defensive Fountain didn't work. Uh, you know, PL were kind of busy trying to make their home in the north, or like their renter home in the north. Uh, and NC dot and so and co were kind of doing the same, and then so when the soft dropped, when the Nelly soft dropped, uh, I think it was like the day before BTAC R, or at least close to that. No, no, at no, least no, that was one of the soft drops. No, we're thinking of two different soft drops, I okay? Think. Yeah, there because there were two soft drops, yeah, uh, <laughs> both by Nelly. Yeah, the one that kind of ended, I it didn't end, but it hindered, it was kind of like when uh. <laughs> Two bears are fighting and a dog, a wolf runs up and bites one of the bears in the legs. And then the fight kind of starts going the wrong way for that bear. Uh, that's kind of what it felt like. And that was um, when the renter alliance for Nully uh, basically was disbanded, dropping all the Sov that they owned, which was most of it for N3 in that area. 
and NC basically took it over with Northern Associates. That's when Northern Associates grew into what it, you know, it eventually became the biggest alliance. It was mostly renters, but the biggest alliance. That happened right at the end of the middle end of Fountain War. And Manny and uh, uh, Pro God, who was running Test at the time, even though he was in Nelly Segunda, he was flying for Test. And um, NC, I think it was Vince, basically came back and just pounded out Immensia and all those areas that had dropped their SOV. Um, and they reclaimed it really quickly, like really within th two or three days, which was amazing. Yeah, it was a testament to grinding because that was just a buttload of grinding to do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, is that Lastel in the audience there? Because if it is, we should get him on. Uh, if you can jump on to Talking In Stations Discord, we'd like to talk to That's him. him. Yeah, bring him on. I don't normally do that, but I'll make an exception for him, as, and especially today on the five-year anniversary of uh, VTAC R. But what I wanted to ask was, what I wanted to get to is there's some more backdrop before BTECR and HeadGP actually happened. And I consider it two fights, right? BTECR was the biggest fight, but right next to it for me is HeadGP, which was a big, big fight too. There seemed to be a lot of tension in that area because I don't know, I just remember speeches from leaders saying, you know, we got goons in the area, we're in the area, something's going to happen, something's going to, you know, there was a few like testing skirmishes that seemed to happen. And so when head GP happened, it wasn't a shock, but it was definitely like, wow, this is big. This is as big as we've ever seen. And then a few days later, BTECR happens and it's like, wow, this is really big. Uh, we've been waiting for this a long, long time. I, I consider it the time when mm, it would be like the first world war where people, societies had developed weapons and power beyond their imagination and said, we can't be stopped. Look at what we have. We have machine guns. And they went to war thinking that they were invulnerable and could just, you know, uh, plow over their enemies. And the enemy thought the same thing. And so it was a giant collision of power. Yeah. And it's actually, uh, I know uh, Seth was saying that the, the fight itself was probably grueling and terrible. And he's glad he wasn't there. The fight itself was nothing to write home about. And in fact, most people that they're there have negative memories of it because it wasn't uh, too much fun. But the impact of the fight and the that entire time period is actually pretty huge. Uh, it marked like a huge amount of um, popularity for EVE Online. It was like a, a, a flash in the pan for a little while, more than a flash in the pan. But it really brought groups like Brave Newbies to the forefront. Like a lot of newer players started joining EVE Online around that time. And EVE Online didn't have that many places for new players. Uh, they had Eve University, which has been around forever. Goon Swarm, which if you were in something awful, you just went to Goon Swarm. Um, Test Alliance, because it was the, the Reddit Alliance. Uh, but they had just finished the Fountain War, and they were kind of in a rebuilding phase. And so a lot of these newer players went to groups like Brave Newbies, or they just kind of came into different newer player groups. And that kind of changed the course of the game from that point forward Uh where you have groups like Brave Newbies, uh, Pandemic Horde, Karma Fleet, all having massive impacts in uh, in the game of EVE Online, uh, which is, I mean, it's still in here today. And all of that is just a byproduct of the, the popularity from the, the BTAC R fight. I can tell that um, there is a negative impact of that fight also, because a lot of people who have participated in this fight, they decided to drop the game because 
they uh, told to themselves that this fight is their game over and they reached everything because they just wasn't that fight. And lots of people left the game, maybe like Zumzat, who is uh, and who was in, in Russian FC for this fight. So it's a huge loss for Russian community for sure. Yeah, the Russian community kind of never really recovered. Well, they, they have now, but it took a long time for them to recover uh, after PTACR because you figure they just won the biggest battle at the time in, in EVE Online history. And then after that, they end up losing the war just because a lot of people who's become disinterested, don't want to play anymore, just have other reasons for, for not wanting to uh, uh, to get involved. And so like a month or two later, uh, N3PL take all of the reclaimed space that they had. They just take it all back. Uh, that's a very interesting point you make, Seth. Uh, and that ding is from Laz, which I guess announces that he has joined the channel. So Laz Tellraven uh, was the FC for the winning side of that fight, which would have been uh, Goon Swarm, the uh, CFC at the time, and Russian groups that were helping them. Uh, Laz, welcome. Thanks, guys. I'm actually in the process of trying to set up my pushers talk, so oh, sorry all right. about that. <laughs> we'll you, we can give you a second. Don't worry, because uh, I want to explore. Worry. I want to explore this a bit more from Seth's point of view. That the BTACR signaled the end game for a lot of players, a lot of Russian players who were heavily involved in BTACR, and they left the game afterwards because they'd kind of achieved the big fight that they were um, kind of waiting for uh, while they were making their career. Um, so is that one of the, is that, how powerful is that idea in the Russian community? Strong enough to don't let a lot of people still play just a game, not a something. So people who think, think of EVE as just a game would play some more, but the people who thought of it as a, a career or a journey, they were done with their journey. Yeah, it was a lot of people who were done with their journey. <laughs> in this fight that is so interesting i've never heard that uh put that way but it makes a lot of sense and it was a victory for uh, goon swarm or cfc and uh russians so it really could be like yeah this is a good time to leave because we won right oh for sure no that's uh, a bit different uh thing that you're talking about I don't think someone were claiming victory after it. No. It was just victory for themselves. Like they achieved any, everything and they quit the game. Okay, so it's a personal decision. Yeah. It's not about full community and the coalitions. It's personal decisions of people. Yeah. So joining us, we're super lucky to have Laz uh, with us, who was a big part of that day. Um, Laz, you, you want to give us some of your thoughts on, on, on BTECR? And this is the five year anniversary. Um, I mean, thoughts how? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long time since then. And you see, you see massive fights since then, uh, just none of them actually culminating to be as big as B-R. Uh, I mean, eventually, I think it'll happen. I think we're waiting on CCP to just kind of fix some of the node issues. And then we'll see uh, that, that next monumental fight. Yeah, they've been big in other ways. Uh, obviously, the population that is fighting and the uh, amount of damage uh, that was done, I think, is not matched uh, BTECR. That's still the amount of damage done in a fight is still BTECR, uh, I believe. But uh, let me ask you a more specific question. What was that day like for you? When did it start? 
I'm really curious about the pivotal moment where you thought, let's take this fight because you had just had a huge loss in head GP where the system, the game had not functioned well and you guys were uh, decimated by the group. So a few days later, what gave you the courage to say, let's do this again? Oh, we'd been looking for that fight ever since we moved our supers down. We, we, we knew we had an opportunity to take this fight. We knew we at that point with the uh, Russian supers and our supers that we had enough to actually en engage uh, in the all out war there. Um, head GP, we actually didn't want to go in there, uh, but uh, the Russians really, really wanted to jump in with the dreads because we had so many dreads at that time. Uh, but since PL and NC had the field, we didn't want to actually jump into that, but we we did it show solidarity and our, our Russian bros uh, ended up being a, 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 a crapshoot because just all the dreads just got massacred. But uh, we, we learned stuff from that fight. And then going into B-R, we, we kind of learned from our state, our mistakes and had a GP and knew that we had to be in early and get our main force in. Um, and then that dreads didn't matter because nothing cycled. Um, and that's, that's the biggest key point of head GP that we learned. Um, but B-R that morning, I went to bed about 4 a.m., um, got about two hours of sleep, woke up uh, to kill the TCUs with Razor and uh, the Russians. And at that point, uh, we anchored our own. And um, when things started escalating, I actually uh, called in sick to work because because I knew I knew this was this was the day um, I actually called and woke up Matani so he could start sending pings and getting everyone up and running. And then uh, and then from there, uh, I had sword dragon in my ear asking, hey, we're, are we going to go, man? We're going to go. And I was like, uh, yeah, we're going. You made that call, right? Because I saw your presentation. I think it was at FanFest. And uh, uh, you're saying that uh, uh, CFC or Goon leadership wasn't, uh, or Matani wasn't really thinking it was a good idea? Oh, yeah. He, he kind of wanted to back down a few, a few times. And I told him, no, it's fine. We got this. We got this. And then then we, uh, we pulled the trigger. Yeah. So it was, but it took you... Um, to basically push CFC into it, right? Like it was, it could have, you guys could have backed down thinking it's a, it's a bad opportunity because look what happened to us a few days ago, but you decided, no, this was it, we're gonna go. Yeah, no, the only people that would be able to make that call would be myself or probably Billy at the time because I guess V wasn't around in that time zone. Uh, he, was, he was still at work. Uh, but since I was around and able to actually make the call is why we went in. But uh, Matani doesn't make decisions like that. Uh, he, he leaves it up to the people that are actually running the, the uh, campaign. So, man, I just got to tell you, like, how, how confident do you got to feel to to take that fight? Like, that's you're risking a lot. Yeah. Oh, well, like I said, we, we've been looking for that fight and we, we were pretty confident that we could take it. We knew we had similar numbers uh, and we ended up having actually quite a, like quite a few more Titans uh, jump into the fight with the amount of Ru Russian Titans that came in. Like the Russian Ragnarok fleets were a huge difference there. And uh, one of the big things is we had so many different flavors of Doomsdays. I think most of our Titans are actually tanked for just e uh, EM Therm just to uh, tank the full uh, Avatar Erebus fleet that the NCPL fleet was. And after you guys like first started coming in, you guys also got like super dominant in the subcap forces too. So it just gave uh gave the supers even more swagger, right? Because you could be like, hey, even if shit does go sideways a little bit, we can just kill off all the bubbles and get out anyway. So let's just come on in. Yeah, we actually didn't bring any subcaps there. Uh, we we had the dominant, not, we had my Dominic's fleet there, uh, and I think we had a second Dominic's fleet from some other uh, one of the other groups, uh, and we actually. Uh, 
didn't bring in any more subcaps once the actual escalation happened. And the only subcaps are allowed to come in were uh, Hicks and Dix. Uh, so interdictors and uh, Hicks, only ones allowed to come in. And then all of our other subcaps are actually rerouted to camp the uh, staging system for N3 so that they couldn't get more capitals into the fight like their uh, triage carriers and and uh, and dreads, et cetera. So they're, they're holding down that undock so they could get that support in. And that's super savvy too, because, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, because in previous instances, like there have been times where a fight like this could have happened, like uh, and most notably in MTACO, uh, wait a couple few years prior. And uh, the reason it didn't is because the node literally just crashed because everyone tried to dogpile in the system to get a piece of it, right? So the, the call to say, hey guys, don't come in. We're going to reserve like what space we have for Titans uh, and Dreads. So go do something else. It was incredibly savvy. It kept the node from crashing and allowed you to get even more kills. That was what I remember of the fight is how well you guys locked up reinforcements. Uh, people were not able to get back into the fight if they were killed and knocked out. Yeah, I think at one point, uh, Nully tried to uh, do a mass like cap and dock uh, into our sub capitals. And we actually had a reserve dread and carrier fleet that we dropped on their undock just to uh, keep them keep them at bay. Uh, so, I mean, like, there was a lot of lot of wheels working at that point. Um, I was texting V constantly asking when he's going to get home because at this point I'm, I'm trying to run four, four, four different fleets and it's it's really nerve wracking with two hours of sleep. Yeah, no kidding. Two hours of sleep. Uh, so you're in there, the, the, the fight's going. You guys, I think you get off to an early start. Um, like, I don't know, what was the most surprising thing that, ha that you saw that, that day? Surprising? Um... I don't know, the actually. PCU I mean, drop? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. The first thing. Yeah, they, they went instigated the fight. Uh, I mean, not surprising, though. Nothing really surprised. Like, because we learned so much from HeadGP with that, how, the, how the nodes actually react that uh, nothing was too big of a surprise. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think probably the biggest shock was how many Titans uh, the, the Russians brought to the field uh, to help, help bolster the fight. Like, because... Uh, Whenever we thought we were running out low on doomsdays to hit the next target, Russians be like, "Hey, we get we get ten more rags coming in." We're like, "All right." Yikes! Who were those groups? Those Russian groups that were helping out? Oh dang! I don't, it's uh, it was Seth would probably better better answer that. Maybe it was Solar Fleet, um, some kind of staying Russians. I don't get how they were named because I wasn't playing at this time. But I think Solar Fleet was the main part of this battle from Russian side. It was like a Darkness and Solar Fleet uh, that were like pretty much the main ones. Right. I remember Solar being in there, uh, but I, I didn't know who if there was a bunch of little groups or if it was two major groups or what, what it was. This, this was the time where the Russians were actually starting to band together. Uh, because forever they've, they've had all the different factions of Russians in the game, but this this is one of the wars that you know, was actually a, a core, a lot of the core Russians banded together to actually push this. And remember, the 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 Russians were still kind of reeling after the, the AAA collapse, because AAA was uh, pretty recently just had uh, started to, to die there. So they had a huge axe to grind against uh, NC and, and PL. So they really wanted to uh, to, to get back. The biggest surprise for me uh, was that Sort Dragon took a long time to to destroy. I don't even know if they destroyed. I think they finally did destroy him. But in the meantime, that was really what, for me, broke uh, 
CFC out in front because they might have taken three or four or five Titans, Titan losses in order to kill one Titan on the other side, which would have been Sort Dragon. And that was, it makes sense now because you guys were perfectly tanked for what you were up against. Some of you guys were. Yeah, Sort was, uh, sort was super bait tanked, right? Uh, no, I think I think because because basically once we jumped in, we had everyone swap to active tank, uh, and then we also gave them the order to swap to uh, to to EM yeah EM therm. Uh, like I, I wasn't even running uh we weren't even running EMs. We were running a uh, complete active partners for EM therm just to get as much resist as possible out of those. Uh, even, even like stacking penalties be damned. Um, and and I think I actually dropped my explosive hardeners too after I after I saw that the fighter bombers weren't really doing much in the fight so we didn't really have to worry about that explosive damage from them so i think most most of our titans actually swapped to that configuration except for our rags our rags are the ones that kind of just died in a fire uh just from not enough uh shield rep support yeah so how long did you last before you collapsed you were only you only had two hours of sleep uh i was there all the way up to about i think 11 or 12 uh and then and then i started i handed my fleet off uh and i think actually elo uh started managing the, the fight because basically once once the Arabuses were dead is, is kind of whenever i i dipped out and that's that's when elo took over it's an interesting experience to have guests uh calling doomsday targets so what they would do is they'd tell you okay when your doomsday's ready put a put a, a mark in this channel and then we'll tell you who to shoot uh, so the guest is calling for you who to target and who to shoot and coordinating the doomsdays. Okay, so the so that's the big battle. We know about uh, what happened during it. Um, what was it like when, was there a moment, Laz, when you guys were like, we're winning this, we're going to win this? Uh, I think at that point, that was uh, when we were, I think, six or seven Titans up uh, before they, they get our first one down. Actually, I think it was six to be exact, uh, before they actually uh, were able to swap because they, they burned all their Doomsdays and we were able to kill six before they their cycle time because I think it was an hour, hour and a half per, per cycle of Doomsday there. Um, and then that's that's when we lost our first rag. And then shortly after that, we, we lost two or three other rags. I mean, uh, but at that point, we, we were so far ahead uh, on the Doomsday clock that... Uh, that we, we knew we had a serious advantage. <laughs> the doomsday clock. That's awesome. At least on the other side of it, uh, you were on the PL side. When did you said you knew pretty early on, this is not going to go well. I mean, by the time I logged in, which was, I think, uh, two or three hours into it, maybe a little bit later, uh, it seemed like it was pretty much, <laughs> pretty much over. Right. Cause, uh, we were at the start, we were always behind the eight ball the main problem because the fight started on the station grid and all of our supers were bubbled in a large pause and we could not get to the uh, station grid without being dragged off. So we had to log in our supers, log in our titans, make sure they didn't bounce, jump out of the pause to a beacon, make sure the beacon wasn't camped, then jump back in onto the station grid. So it's this huge involved process, which doesn't sound like it's uh, too time consuming, but when the first, when the fight just started first happening, the first series of doomsdays, we lost because we were like trying to get our ships actually into the fight. Uh, and so we lost, I don't know, like two Titans right at the start, like just flat out lost them before we could even fire a shot. Uh, and from then, like the hope is we'll stay on grid long enough uh, to see, A, because we have no idea what the bad guys or what the, the other guys are going to bring. 
Uh, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to get enough people on our side to swing it back in our favor. Uh, and so that's when, in the very beginning, we were behind the eight ball, then we kind of like start to, to pull even a little bit. Uh, but then more of the Russians and uh, goons kept coming in. And we kept bringing more people in ourselves too. Like that never stopped. But the, the rate at which we brought new people in wasn't as great as the rate that, that they were. So, Oh, by the way, I think it was Darkness of Despair was in there, not necessarily Darkness, right? So yeah, that's, uh, that's Swords, Swords uh, Alliance. No. Darkness of Despair is a Russian alliance. It's a Russian alliance. Yeah, Sword, Sword was in, in Darkness of Despair at the time. Yeah, he was, he was leading the, the... He was like their their Australian fleet commander type thing because he had a similar time zone. But yeah, Darkness were the... They were the Russian... Or Darkness of Despair were the Russian group, but Sword was leading, right? So he was there. So what happened after the fight? Uh, okay, so you guys have this giant fight. It resonates for a lot of people. For some people, it ends their career. Uh, it's because they finished and uh, you know doing their personal goals. But wh what was the cleanup like? Or the aftermath? The after? Uh, what do you call it? The post-war scenario, just minutes or days after it happened. Uh, right after it happened, I mean that uh, nothing much happened besides we had complete super dominance, and so we had uh, basically like in the Fountain War when you had the super carriers just completely re flip the sob after the sob drop. Uh, that's exactly essentially what happened in Mencia. We had super fleets running twenty four seven just to flip the sob as, as quickly as possible. No, no, no. There was a big diplomatic thing. I don't, I don't know if you remember that. Because if I if I take it back to the beginning of the conversation, we what we said was we didn't want to see when the when the territorial claim units inadvertently made the station vulnerable and Razor started shooting it. We didn't want the station to flip because then all of these valuable assets that you have in that structure are now in a Razor structure. So tell us if that if that fear actually came through in the end. Uh, you mean you mean for the actual station itself, BR, BR station? Because uh, the beat it. Yeah, because Razor had the uh, earliest claim on TCU, so it actually went off and claimed the system for Razor, and then I believe Razor transferred everything to Goons, which then they made a deal with Grath uh, to trade it back to PL uh, in exchange for PLs pulling itself out of the war. Yeah, the 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 idea was like, yo, we'll give you back your station, just leave, and so we're like, all right. Here's, we'll take that, <laughs> and we're happy to leave. We wanted to leave anyway, so at least now this is incentive for us to leave. Because uh, at the same time, um, Pandemic Legion had an agreement with Goonswarm to not take each other's space. Uh, it was called the the Botlord Accords. We like agreed to it, uh, like I think a month or even uh, two months prior. So we didn't really care too much about the space so much. We were happy to just leave, pull back to an area where we knew we could defend. And just try to <laughs> rebuild the the lost supers that we had, uh, the lost titans rather. Also, Alice, I have some question for you. How many titans was sold by goons to Pandemic Legion after this fight? Do you have any information about this? Yeah, because I, think... I have heard that a lot of titans were sold by goons to PL. Only if they uh, were able to get an alt into into uh, goons to actually buy it, because there is a huge. Um... Like they, they they tracked it super well. So if you, if you recall selling Titans outside of uh, of the CFC at the time, then you were immediately uh, blacklisted and your uh, builds or whatever if they're caught were killed. 
Yeah, back then selling a goons still had the like the thing of selling a titan outside of uh, the alliance was constituting blue fucking. So they were like, ah, no, can't do that. Uh, but what we ended up doing is all the people who were super inactive or not super active, they're like, yo, we'll give you, like, for an active person, we'll give you our Titan. And then while you guys are building a new one, we'll just get that in, like, five weeks when it comes out. So the day after, like, 80% of the people that lost Titans had new Titans again. Uh, we just had a huge backlog trying to build things up. And I'm not sure exactly where all the minerals came from uh but we ended up getting our, our titans back pretty pretty quickly well a lot of them were from you recollected them from players that weren't active anymore right yeah exactly yeah. so if a guy hadn't played in, in three or four months or even more uh we'd poke him on the forums be like hey uh we just lost a lot of titans would you be okay if you gave your titan away and we'll give you we'll either give you money for it or we'll give you a new titan in five weeks when it comes out of build and Basically, everyone was like, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not playing this month anyway, so good, good luck. Have fun. Well, as, as for the minerals, though, this was back whenever the drone stuff gave you crap. Like, all the drone NBCs gave tons of minerals, so I think that's where you guys were able to rebuild so quickly. Yeah, I think Kenneth Feld was uh, obviously went into overdrive. He's, he's somewhat of a tycoon builder for uh, PL, and I think he put a lot of stuff uh, back in the hands of active players. Yeah, he was one of our. He's that's when he became like the the industrial leader of PL as well around that time, uh, or the we don't call him an industrial leader. It's like the logistics leader uh, for PL. Uh, that that was around that same time. So he had a, a huge hand in in making that happen, which is not an insurmountable task <laughs> by any stretch. But yeah, the, the diplomatic <laughs> deal that that Laz was mentioning is yeah, like give us a station and we leave happily. Like. That was the that was the best. That was like the cherry on top, and we were like so happy to do that. We're like, yeah, we did not want to be here anyways, because PL is is very much, at least at that time, PL was very much a, a feast or famine type of alliance, right? So if you have a lot of good fights going on, PL members will snowball, and just just destroy you, right? But if you have a string of some pretty pretty unlucky or some pretty bad results. A lot of people didn't want to, to show up. It's changed quite a bit since now, uh, since then. But back then, we had just suffered like a huge loss. Not only was it a huge loss, but it was like terrible to go through, right? So we hated it. So we're like, no more of this, please. Uh, and even even the fights that we won, like we weren't really happy with them a lot of the times because the uh, the wrecking ball formation that you saw in the video was just so grueling to go through, right? So it's essentially for those that aren't aware it's essentially just sitting all of your capitals in a ball and just holding one little sphere one area of the grid and the grid only went to a few hundred kilometers they're not like super grids that they all are now so basically you would either sit in an ihub grid or sit at the tcu grid or sit at a spu grid you'd be on one of those three grids and you would just hold it and you'd win that objective but you wouldn't be able to do anything else in the system this was also the period where we were actually uh our, our main strategy to fight the wrecking ball up until uh G P and br was uh was water morning was we weren't, we weren't actually trying to kill it we we would just throw dictors at it constantly just to keep them in place and able to extract for hours yeah that must have been grueling if uh if if the only tactic of the people you were fighting is to grab you and hold you and make you play hours and hours and hours that's got to wear on you after a while Actually, remembering the breaking wall formation, we I can remember that some Russian players were whining 
uh, a lot on forums about it. They tried to use long-range dreads to just alpha carriers, and it didn't go well in HGP, like I can remember. And it was a lot of tears about it. I think it was a too much luck to just load the system for these dreadnoughts, and they die in fire from super carriers and carriers of this wrecking ball formation. So. Well, that's, that's what we told told the our, our Russian counterparts uh, before jumping into HGP, and we told them it was a bad idea and that we shouldn't do it. We should just wait. And uh, <laughs> but they they really really wanted to go in because they they uh, their biggest claim was if we don't jump in and we blue ball all these people because I think we had something like a thousand dreads, like we had a crazy amount of dreads for this time period. Uh, and and uh, they're like, if we don't go in, we're gonna, morale's going to crash and we're going to lose people. Uh, we have to go in even if we feed. And we're like, all right, let's go in. So that's what happened. That was for head GP? That was head GP. Yeah. So anyway, the, the uh, VTAC-R, um, again, represents a, a milestone in EVE Online for, from, from various angles, really. It's very interesting. Uh, and that was five years ago today. It was a 20-hour fight. and um, as you know, it really was a watermark for for what mass scale combat is in, in EVE Online. And so thank you guys very much, Laz, uh, Lead FC for the winning side there, CFC uh, and the Russian groups that were there, probably Solar and Darkness of Despair. Uh, and Carneros and Elise. Uh, Elise was, were you the leader of PL at the time? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. I remember, but I, I, I do remember the apology to NC came from uh, uh, Grath, who was saying, I love you guys, but we got to go. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that was pretty much it. He uh, he saw the opportunity to get all, all the things, and Shudu did as well. Like, V and Shudu were talking uh, because they're they're very close friends, and they're kind of like, uh, they're like adversaries, but not really adversaries. They're like friends. Friend series. Yeah, they're a friend of series. Uh, so they, they were basically cut from the same cloth and then like same huge names. And Shu has, had taken a bit of a step back. He logged in to be Tech and Addictor, messaged me, was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I can't get my Titan out of system. Uh, I'm just going to leave it online because his Titan character had like a, it was still well known. It's one of the oldest uh, Leviathans in the game. But he was like, don't tell anyone that I'm doing other stuff because I'll feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> don't lower morale. Uh, we, we, we had people going to the store like, hey, we're back and run the shop real quick and suddenly like, be gone for like 30 minutes and come back. Yeah, you could be gone for an hour and still fire your doomsdays on time. That's how... Uh... That's, that's what allowed me to play EU time zone at work is I could actually sit there at work, do the thing, and then I could work for an hour and then come back and then do the thing again. And uh, That was good. So I, I kind of liked tie-dye. Uh, it let me fight a lot more in the past. But then my boss got this uh, tracking tool where he could see how much Eve I was playing every day. So <laughs> that was the end of that. That's horrible. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I also looked at it. Now. He's like, check this out. I can see all the times you're playing Eve. And I'm like, damn it. I'm the only guy in this building playing Eve. I thought there were more guys. No, it's fine. We had, we, it was all, it was a jest, you know, but, uh, but at that point I was like, yeah, I can't stay online all day long. It just starts to look bad after a while. I want to thank uh, Laz and Elise for talking to us about BTAC-R. Uh, a lot's happened since then. I think the game has totally changed since BTAC-R. It was a real milestone. 
the solve system has changed, capitals have changed, jump mechanics have changed, structures have changed. Yeah, it's a different game. Super capitals at this point, BTAC are worse, were not what they are today. They were a whole different species than, than they are today. Uh, capitals in general were a different species. Now, uh, super capitals look a lot more like big sub capitals. They, they're kind of used in the same way. Uh, Laz, what are, you, uh, what are you doing these days? Uh, right now, I actually just wipe my computer. I'm, I'm trying to do a little more uh, physical stuff. So I've been going to the gym five, six times a week. And I, I've been playing literally no computer games for the past like month. So, so I was just kind of. I, I saw I've been staying on Discord and Twitter and Reddit and stuff like that. And I, I saw I saw the uh, talking stations post. So I figured I'd jump on. And how lucky are we that you saw that? Um, who are you flying with these days? Are you still with uh, Amok? Uh, no, no. <laughs> that was a while ago, right? <laughs> right. Wow. That was a while ago. OK, where are you now? I'm in Black Legion right now. Uh, but uh, the uh, it's still a little bit of a sore subject. I'm still sad about losing my tenure in the same corpse streak. Oh no! Did they actually? I didn't get the story on I, this. I got purged for uh, for not having my ESIs updated on my uh, my adults. An accident or? No, there's a, there's this uh, director in Amok who uh, I guess doesn't like me or something. But 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 uh, basically, basically, I get purged. So what how, what are your feelings towards uh, Imperium now? Oh, I don't have any I don't have any grudges or anything. I get it's it's I I, I play with Black Legion whenever I whenever I uh, feel like actually playing Eve. Um, I actually resubbed about two weeks ago, and then I haven't actually played after resubbing. So, uh, but but it's uh I don't know Eve. I I, I still love Eve, and I, I wish we kind of get back to the way Eve used to be. Uh, I kind of don't like the way that the current soft system works. And um, I think if they're maybe come up with something new and more interesting, I'd probably start playing more again. Wow. Okay. So you're with black Legion and uh, you do have it installed. So that's new. You said you just wiped your machine Is Eve on it still or. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wiped my machine, my machine. And the only thing that's wanted right now is rainbow six and, uh, and Eve. Oh, cool. Hey, you used to be a great streamer too. Are you still uh, thinking of doing that? for about eight months so but uh it, it's I, I really enjoyed it but it takes so much time commitment well you were good at it and you were good at uh seeing big big fights too uh clearly so it's uh it's good to have you around even if you're not playing actively constantly yeah not not, not constantly active but i'm always watching all right cool Okay, well, again, Carnero, Elise, Laz, thank you guys for reviewing BTACR. Seth, thanks for throwing in some interesting stuff from the Russian perspective. Thanks also to Orion and Ron for telling us uh, what's been going on recently. And, uh, and our special guest there, Seth Shadow, um, thanks for coming on. We want to really keep an eye on Scourge, and uh, we'd love to have you back uh, sometime soon. Yeah, feel free to invite me for some more shows. I will gladly visit them more. Thank you for inviting. That's awesome. It's our pleasure, and we're definitely going to have you back. Uh, but okay, that wraps it up uh, for this week, and we will see you next week on Talking In Stations.